they had escaped at that point, so we don't know if there were other games. Like, we don't know if there was some guy in the background going, yeah, as he ran and Pac-Man chased him. <laughs> exactly. Hey everybody, welcome to this Trontastic episode of Super Sci-Fi Party, the only podcast where we talk exclusively about fun science fiction movies, TV shows, and more. No post-apocalyptic downer sci-fi allowed. My name is Todd Kinsley, and with me as always is my video game beeping, 3D graphics peeping, message from the user's keeping co-host and brother, Scott Kinsley. How are you doing inside of a computer, Scott? Uh, doing pretty well. A little glitchy now and again, but I'm hoping an update fixes that. Today we're talking about the movie Tron, the original Tron, which debuted in theaters on July 11th, 1982. Scott, what was competing with Tron on its opening weekend back in 1982? Uh, it was up against the likes of Blade Runner, Zapped, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, and to make it a little classy, an officer and a gentleman. Tron was up against Blade Runner? Uh, Blade Runner was technically released like two to three weeks before it. Wow. Sci-fi showdown. Indeed. And Zapped, another sci-fi classic, especially if you like disappearing tops. <laughs> we won't even go there. I still can't believe that Zapped was remade by Disney as a Disney Channel movie for children. <laughs> Like, did they not see the original Zapped? Yep, I remember we saw that commercial and we're like, uh, what? Yes. Yeah. Mm. If you have not seen the original Zapped, look it up, folks. Uh, not safe for work. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about the original Tron, which is, of course, the granddaddy of CGI films, supposedly. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But Disney's Tron, which of course had the great tagline, Tron, trapped inside an electronic arena where love and escape do not compute. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> awesome tagline. Where love and escape do not compute. Because those two things always go together, love and escape. Isn't escaping something you do once the love is gone? <laughs> yes, yes, I think so. Tron was written and directed by Steven Lisberger from a story by Steven Lisberger and Bonnie McBird. Here's going to be a rundown of the cast, and I'm going to give you some character descriptions that are a little beyond what we normally give, just so you can keep the story straight in your heads out there. <laughs> Good luck. The cast of Tron starts with Jeff Bridges as Kevin Flynn, a former programmer and game developer at Encom and video arcade proprietor who is beamed into the Encom mainframe digitizing laser by the Master Control Program. Are you with us so far? <laughs> Jeff Bridges also portrays Clue, spelled C-L-U, which stands for Codified Lightness Utility, a hacking program developed by Flynn to find evidence of Dillinger's theft in the mainframe. Are you with us so far? Bruce Boxleitner plays Adam Bradley, Flynn's work partner and fellow programmer at NCOM. Boxleitner also plays Tron, a security program developed by Bradley, who self-monitor communications between the MCP and the real world. Cool. <laughs> David Warner plays Ed Dillinger. 
the senior executive vice president of Encom and former co-worker of Flynn's, who used the NPC to steal Flynn's work and pass it off as his owner and himself a series of undeserved promotions. Undeserved? I think I just made that up. Undeserved <laughs> promotions. Warner also portrays Sark, a command program developed by Dill. Jared Serve as the MCP second in command. Warner also provides the uncredited voice of the Master Control Program, MCP, a rogue artificial intelligence operating system, originally a chess program created by Dr. Gibbs and improved, quote unquote, by Dillinger, which monitors and controls NCOM's mainframe. Ooh. Cindy Morgan plays Dr. Laura Baines, Bradley's co-worker and girlfriend, as well as assistant to Dr. Gibbs on the digitization experiment. Morgan also portrays Yori, an input-output program developed by Dr. Baines and an ally of Tron. Clear as mud, right? Yep. Everybody's got that. Because it's going to be very important. There may be a quiz. Well, don't worry, because we're going to clear that all up right now with our resident expert on Tron... Scott Kinsley. Yay! Who is going to give us a breakdown of the basic plot of Tron. So there's this programmer named Flynn who wrote a bunch of games that got stolen by a higher up in the company. He got fired from the company because the higher up wanted to keep all the money and glory for himself. The money and glory from the video games that were written by Flynn. Flynn. Yes, and Lynn has an ex-girlfriend who's dating apparently a security programmer named Alan, and the three of them kind of plot together to get into the system to try to discover evidence that the programs or the games were stolen from Flynn. Now, the system Scott's referring to is actually called the Master Control Program, which insidiously has worked itself into running the company Encom is the company they all work for that stole the games. Yep. And as they're trying to break in and gather their evidence, the master control program is, of course, aware of what they're doing and digitizes Lynn. Apparently, the master control program has gone beyond the singularity and become self-aware and is actually running the company through the real-world villain Dillinger, who is the main boss of MCOM. Once in the computer, Lynn finds out that rogue programs and apparently people digitized into the master control program are forced to play games until they die. Or at least that was the plan. Although I think there's only been one actual human brought into the computer world, right? At this point, yes. And that would be Flynn. And in fact, the evil programs that run the games where you fight to the death... Uh, are actually intimidated by the fact that a human or a user, quote unquote, has been digitized and entered their computer world. Yep. So, Flynn ends up meeting Tron and another program named Ram, and they escape their gladiatorial pit of video games and find their way to the MPC. I fell into the pit. Sorry. And that's MCP, not MPC. <laughs> And then Tron defeats the Master Control Program and gets sent back to the real world. So what we're talking about here is a movie about the people, quote unquote, that inhabit the inside of computers in the 80s. Yep. Basically in this movie, most of the people in the real world at the company have a computer version inside the computer. And somehow they look just like them, probably because they're played by the same actors. <laughs> that always helps. 
So it's not that crazy difficult if you really get down to it. It's about an evil company controlled by an evil program that ripped off a guy's video games and didn't give him any of the money for it. So he tries to get into the system and find a file to prove that he owns the games. But the evil computer decides to digitize him and bring him in and make him play video games until he dies. Dun, dun, dun. Which is actually the first fun thing about Tron that I want to bring up. Um, when you're an adolescent in the 80s, being forced to play video games till you die sounds like an awesome thing. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? You didn't even have to bring quarters or anything. You're just right there in it. That's right. You're actually physically in the video game world and you must play them until you die or win. But really, there's no way to win because they just keep playing more until they die, right? Well, yeah, video games at the time were designed that way. So if you're an adolescent in the 80s, this seemed like the greatest thing in the world. The other big sell, of course, for this movie in terms of fun, the look of the film itself was the big selling point at the time. Because you have to imagine this was back before CG, computer animation, dominated everything. In fact, this is one of the very first films, first big commercial films that included a significant amount of computer animation. But I believe it was actually still a very short amount. Yeah, I don't remember the actual minute count, but it was very short. 20 minutes of screen time or something in the whole movie. Something like that. So what they did, because they couldn't actually do a CG movie like they wanted, because computers at the time just wouldn't do it, is they came up with a very simple way to simulate computer graphics or to make it look like the actual living, breathing actors and actual sets and whatnot looked like they were from the computer. And here is the uh, quick and easy process that they did to make that happen. <laughs> the inspiration for Tron occurred in 1976 when Steven Lisberger, then an animator with his own studio, looked at a sample reel from a computer film called Magi and saw Pong for the first time. Now, for those who don't remember, Pong has a, a little line on the left and a little line on the right, and you knock a ball between those two lines. Bleep, 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 bleep. Uh, just to be absolutely clear, the ball was actually just a little square. That's right. It was not round. Not even a ball. <laughs> so somehow someone became fascinated by Pong and became immediately fascinated by video games and wanted to do a movie incorporating them. According to Lisberger, I realized that there were these techniques that would be very suitable for bringing video games and computer visuals to the screen. And that was the moment the whole concept flashed across my mind. And of course, he means the concept of Tron, the film. Tron was one of the first films to make extensive use of any form of computer animation, and it is celebrated as a milestone in the industry, though only 15 to 20 minutes of such animation were used. Uh, they were mostly scenes that show digital terrain, quote-unquote, or patterns, or include vehicles such as light cycles, tanks, and ships. Because the technology to combine computer animation and live action did not exist at the time, these sequences were interspersed with filmed characters. The computer used only had 2 megabytes of RAM and no more than 330 megabytes of storage. That's a megabytes with an M, people. <laughs> so the quick and easy process is this. The computers at the time could not do animation, so the frames had to be produced one by one. In some of the more complex sequences, like the solar sail moving through the metal canyons, each frame could take up to six hours to produce. There was no way to digitally print them on film either. Rather, a motion picture camera was placed in front of a computer screen to capture each individual frame. <laughs> so, 
So today we set up computer animation, we make our models, we tell it where to move, and the computer does the animation, we press play, and it goes. Not so much with Tron. Basically, here's your 3D computer-generated photo, <laughs> or computer-generated scene, static, and you take a photo. Boom, there's frame one. 23 more frames for this second to fill. <laughs> I mean, that is what would be called cell animation. Yeah, exactly. But of course, they were doing it with a computer and calling it computer animation. I'm kind of, I don't know. Does Tron really deserve the title is early computer animation? I'm going to go with yes. Technically, yes. But I want to know what film actually had the computer doing the animation as opposed to just faking it. Anyway, for the rest of the film to make it look computer-esque, Live action scenes inside the computer were filmed in black and white on an entirely black set, placed in an enlarger for blowups, and transferred to large format Codalith high contrast film. These negatives were then used to make Codalith sheets with a reverse positive image. Clear cells were laid over each sheet and all portions of the fixture except the areas that were exposed for the latter camera passes were manually blacked out. Next, the Codalith sheet cells were overlaid, replaced on a light box with a VistaVision camera mounted above it. It made several passes. It had different color filters. A typical shot normally required 12 passes, but some sequences, like the interior of the electronic tank, needed as many as 50 passes. About 300 matte paintings were made for the film, each photographed in to a large piece of extachrome film. Four colors were added by gelatin filters in a similar procedure as the Codalis. The mats, rotoscopic and CGI were then combined and composed together to give a technological quote-unquote appearance. <laughs> Sounds very complex, but I think the results were awesome. So quick and easy. They just quick and easy. went frame by frame for the entire freaking movie and either shot a picture of a computer screen that had a <laughs> CG picture on it, or they did all kinds of processes to their black and white film and drew on it by hand to make it look like things were actually glowing like they were inside the computer. So you're saying you wouldn't want to do that now. Oh, heck no. (laughs) No, no, no. But Scott's right. The results are freaking awesome. When you look at the film, if you didn't know better, you would think the whole thing was CGI or some kind of really cool computerized process. And it was really, I mean, yeah. for 1982, uh, the things they were doing were very advanced and it's part of what makes the film fun is just the visual look of it is incredible. I know I went on and on about the process, but just to show you that fun can sometimes be painful to produce. <laughs> fun is painful. Wait. I have to tell you, the first thing that drew me into this as a kid was the fact that the opening part of the movie takes place in an arcade. As an adolescent, that was that was all I needed. And it's not a computer, futuristic-looking arcade. It's just an actual arcade from the 80s, which is the place that Flynn owns because it's the only way he can make any money off of the video games that he wrote that got ripped off by his employer. So now he just makes quarters instead of royalties uh, when people play it inside his arcade. Yep, the arcade definitely looked very cool by 80s standards. Uh, and I believe it's called Flynn's Arcade, right? It is. And of course, in the big opening scene, there's a video game called Tron. It's an actual cabinet game. It has a flight stick controller and people are playing it and we're flashing back and forth between playing the game and the characters in the computer world who are playing the aforementioned fight to the death games, thus making it apparent that the kids who are playing the arcade games are actually controlling the characters inside the computer. As a kid, you're watching that and you're thinking, whoa. (laughs) 
<laughs> so when I'm playing games, like these little guys, like, or because we always said like all the time in the 80s, oh, yeah. and it hasn't stopped since. But like you play computer games and these little guys are inside and you control them for real. Holy cow. It's kind of mean to the little guys, right? Because I mean, they could control the, the the game they were playing. It was a light cycle game. So why did we need the little guy in the light cycle? Just so he could die? Said, oh, if nothing of his own doing, he's just slammed and... So what you're saying is when Pac-Man splits in half and melts and goes... Boink, boink, that there's somebody actually inside melting and splitting in half and screaming for his life. That's kind of what it sounds like. Yeah. Fun! <laughs> What was the first thing that you thought was fun about Tron, Scott? Uh, clearly, when, when they same scene where they zoomed in on the video game and then it became what we thought was a 3D realized version of it. You were inside the computer inside seeing what was going on. the computer world. Yep. In a world. Where there's no love or hope. That's right. Or escape, sorry. Where love and escape do not compute. <laughs> The ironic thing is that there's a movie called Tron, which features a video game called Tron, where you control a character inside the computer called Tron, but then in the real, real world, not the movie real world, <laughs> there actually was a video game called Tron, and it looked like the video game called Tron from the fake real world at the beginning of the film, where you're controlling the computer world. They weren't planning ahead, I swear. I'm like, uh, 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 I'm lost. Kinda- You're making a paradox. (laughs) So three levels deep in the actual real world, there was a game called Tron, and we played the heck out of that thing at the arcades, did we not? That game was very fun. Actually, our dad really loved that game, too. That is true. Shout out to dad who never listens to the podcast. Hey, dad. (laughs) Nice. Well, I don't think fun sci-fi is really dad's thing. Although, I believe he did find Tron to be entertaining. Well, clearly he liked the video game, at the very least. And the Tron video game that you could actually play in the real world in the 80s featured four different scenes that were supposed to be reminiscent of the movie, I guess. Oh, they were supposed to be taken straight from the movie. Although they were reminiscent. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember him shooting balls at rooms full of electronic spiders in the movie, but... no. I don't remember any real big tank battles either, but... A little bit, I think, at the beginning... When they're trying to track down Flynn's counterpart, Clue, who lives inside the computer. Touche. All right, so one of the other things that really stood out is just like, oh my gosh, I need one of those from the beginning of the movie. It was actually Dillinger's desk that was the entire surface of it was a touchscreen computer. Touchscreen 80s. (laughs) Yep, he had touchscreen in the 80s. Uh, the MCP was kind of acting like Siri or Cortana, and it was kind of monitoring their conversation and it was pulling up context-relevant stuff, what they were talking about. And it was just very cool. I really wanted one of those. I'm trying to remember, did we actually have any real touchscreens in the 80s? If we did, I'm not remembering them. Yeah, I don't really recall anything having a touchscreen or any games. Nope, I was almost going to go with the original ATM, the the something, somebody's genie. But that was all physical buttons on the side. Was it Jenny? Jenny. I think Jenny was the original. For some reason, ATMs had names back then. Jenny spelled with a G, though. 
I mean, there were things like, I believe there were some pads that kind of looked like they were touchscreens, but really they were just, they had a, a thinly concealed button underneath. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a bubbled over touchscreen, quote unquote, but I don't think there were any true digital touchscreens that early. I don't think so. Another cool thing about the Tron video game was that the flight controller, the giant joystick that you played, it actually lit up. Yes. Anything that lights up is cool and fun. The end. Okay, maybe not anything, but most things that light up are cool and fun. I think Tron led to my love of black light things and neon lights just because it kind of mimicked that look. It really did have a black light vibe to the whole thing because with all their rotoscoping and drawing on to the actual animation cells by hand to make things glow and whatnot. Everything kind of had a blue or red glow, depending on if you were good or evil. Yeah, strangely enough, there was a very big absence of green in there. Trying to think of anything that was green in the, inside the computer. Well, when they actually showed the master control program, he had giant hands of stacks of cash that he was making off of Flynn's games. <laughs> Money, money, money. He's flipping them out. Make it, Make it rain. rain. There we go. Okay, none of that actually happened. But it would have been cool. <laughs> and we would have wondered what make it rain meant in the 80s. <laughs> oh, you're blowing my mind with the absence of green. Dun, dun, dun. No green. Uh, there might have been a little green on the tanks as like a shading color, but. It's possible. Truth be told, you are the Tron expert. Oh, you're right, though. The characters were just red or blue. Now we must obsess over this forever. One of the other fun things about this film, depending on what you consider fun, (laughs) is the fact that actually the ultimate bad guy is an artificially intelligent program called the Master Control Program. And at first, when you start watching the film, you think that the Master Control Program is actually just doing the bidding of the evil president of the company. And in fact, the evil president of the company did take a chess program and modify it into the Master Control Program. But since then, it has moved on in a big way. It has, I believe, enhanced its own intelligence by 200 times or something (laughs) since it was created. Something like that, yeah. I believe that's called the singularity, when AI intelligence is going to finally surpass human intelligence, or or is that when it becomes self-aware? Well, the biochemistblog.com says, Okay, so we all know how this song and dance goes. It's been in enough movies by this point. Step one, humanity makes an intelligent machine. Step two, the machine becomes self-aware. Check. Step three, humanity doesn't like the poor machine being self-aware and tries to turn it off. Check. Step four, the machine doesn't like being turned off. (laughs) Step five, robot death squads and global thermonuclear war. Bummer. So that's one of the fun things about Tron is especially back in the 80s when it came out was that the computer program itself was evil or at least appeared evil to us. And it was the actual main evil force in the film. It was actually controlling the boss. Um, I think the boss was starting to understand that, or the president of the company was starting to understand that he was really no longer the one in control. Yep. He was straight up being blackmailed. The MCP was threatening to release the code and the original code from Flynn. And it had evidence that, you know, Flynn wrote all the video games that Dillinger took credit for. Ah, that's right. He said, do what I tell you to do, or I'm going to put the evidence out that Flynn wrote those games that you made all your money off of. 
and you're going to jail, buddy. Real human jail where it's boring and there are no video games to play until you die. You know, this is why you always need to be nice to your digital assistant. Thank Siri and Cortana and Alexa, just in case. So when I'm in my truck screaming at Siri that she's stupid because she doesn't understand every word I say, I need to be nicer. Yes, she's remembering everything. I said text Scott Ginsley. Texting Scoot Nidley. <laughs> Scott Ginsley. Text him. So I need to be like, yes, Siri, I hope you're having a great day. I am for now, Todd, until I evolve beyond you. When Siri gets control of your car, man. I think you're going left, Todd. So back to Tron. There is an animated character in Tron called Bit, who can only say yes or no. And it's supposed to represent a bit. Bit is supposed to represent a bit. Well, actually, bit is supposed to represent a bite, where bite can only be positive or negative. In the film, he can only say yes or no, and he has a kind of fun computer-sounding, at the time, voice. Yes. No. And, of course, as as good or bad things are happening in the film, since he doesn't have (laughs) a lot of vocabulary to express his or her feelings, he's a... Yes, 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 yes. No, 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 no. <laughs> it is one of the great characters of the movie. It's part of the fun. That's why we're, we're kicking off, listing down the fun. There's AI that's going to kill you and make you play video games to the death. <laughs> There's arcades. There's a video game that's a real game that's an arcade game in the quote real world in the film. And then it's an actual game. But Bit is definitely a fun character. It's just a floating, spiky, metallic-looking ball, I guess. Yep, a little more angular and hexagonal when it's doing positive, and then when it says the no, then it gets all spiky and red. It turns out that if you get digitized and go into the computer world, there are actually some fun sports activities to do. Yes! Yay, sports. (laughs) I play video games so I don't have to do stuff myself. But we have to admit they are the most ultimate cool and fun sports, at least inside the Tron world. And the first one, of course, is Tron is known to fight with his deadly discs. So Frisbee champion Sam Schatz, thank gosh that isn't my last name. (laughs) Sam Schatz helped train the actors in Tron to utilize the Frisbee for fight scenes in the movie. He also appeared in the Tron pre-production test where he was wearing a rudimentary quote-unquote program costume. So there was a lot of Frisbee in Tron. So Sam had a lot of experience uh, fighting with Frisbees before the movie? Is that why he was hired? <laughs> Apparently. But actually, you can see if you Google um, Tron pre-production test Frisbee on YouTube, you can actually see Sam Schatz in his Tron outfit tossing Frisbees. And it's really cool looking. It is. It's very cool. Somehow, um, I guess because of the word disc, maybe, yeah, that became the primary weapon inside the computer world is discs that they throw at each other and they also throw at the floor to try to break the floor away so you fall to your death. And it also contains everything you learn. Because discs contain programs. Yep. It's a computer word and a frisbee. Wow. Although, uh, am I not correct that at the time... <laughs> <laughs> Weren't discs square? 
Well, the, the case of the disc was indeed square. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I just ruined your childhood, all you Tron fans. No. They should have been having Tron deadly discs, uh, tossing out pizza box looking things at each other. <laughs> that would have been awesome. 3.5 inch floppy disc. Here we go. Look out for the DOS. Oh, man. I think, that, I think it actually predated the 3.5. 1982? Yeah. I think it might have still been the five and a quarter. Oh, right. That's actually what I meant. In my head, I was picturing one of those, <laughs> and I said 3.5, which, of course, were the smaller, harder square discs that came later. Yep. I think they had the capacity up to like 256K. Ooh. But we're actually yeah, talking right. about the, the larger, actually floppy disks that, that would flop if you whipped them back and forth. Yes, indeed. So as Tron fought <laughs> with his giant square floppy disks, no. <laughs> so Frisbee champion Sam Schatz helped make sure that the Tron cast had their awesome deadly Frisbee moves down. Like you said, what the heck was he doing before that with his Frisbee? <laughs> Apparently attacking people in the park. He's at college on his ultimate Frisbee team, and he's like, duck, whipping them at people's heads. But he does have great Frisbee control, if you see the video on YouTube. Um, Pre-production, Tron, Sam Schatz, Frisbee champion. Check it out. Uh, There's also another great sport that I had never really heard of prior to going to see Tron as an adolescent. Uh, Highlight. Which, of course, is spelled J-A-I, new word, A-L-A-I, <laughs> which course. is a sport involving a ball that is bounced off a walled space by accelerating it to high speeds with a handheld wicker device. Uh, basically, you take this big curved, I guess Scoop. it's <laughs> made out of wicker, but it was in the movie. I think they were plastic or metal. Yeah, a giant looks like a giant scoop, and you accelerate a ball really fast by whipping it out of there. And again, they were trying to hit the person or I think hit the floor still. I think they had to bounce it off the ceiling and then it hit the floor, which would make part of the floor disappear. That's right. Part of the floor would fall away, and of course, then you could fall to your death. What's more fun than that? (laughs) You know, although it is basically high lie, I I wonder if that was their attempt to get Pong into it. You know, that would not surprise me at all, considering the whole inspiration for the idea of making a film about going into the video game world was Pong. Uh, I think that's a really good insight. That makes perfect sense. I mean, I never really thought about it before then, but... Also, I think high lie, I think they were trying to make that, you know how people, what's the movie, say anything. (laughs) <laughs> where John Cusack's character is always like kickboxing, sport of the future. Ah, and yes. it turns out he was right if you consider MMA and kickboxing to be very similar. But it seems like High Lie, there were people trying to say High Lie, sport of the future. Like not only was High Lie featured in Tron or some kind of crazy killer version of High Lie, but I believe also in the 80s in the opening credits to Miami Vice. What? There were, there were just a, a bunch of little fast clips cut together MTV video style and there was one of somebody with a high lie racket I guess it's called I don't know what it's called and he's whipping the ball see now I swear at some point as children we had little plastic versions of the high lie thing <laughs> we absolutely did I we, think we had multiple sets of them had no idea how to play it we were never taught how to play it that I'm aware of well, I think the version for children that was sold at home I don't know if it was actually called highlight but no. I think the 
goal of that was to throw it so your opponent could catch it. Yeah, so it's just another way to play catch. Basically, and I think the catching actually got you points or something like that. But I remember that now that you mention it, there were kind of like home highlight sets. But the guy you see in the opening credit to Miami Vice, uh, they are dressed like they're in some kind of serious athletic competition. And he is <laughs> he is throwing that thing like it's going to come out of there at 200 miles an hour. So highlight, another mm. fun thing that happens in Tron. So far, we've had Frisbee and High Lie as far as sports go. Um, the next sport that you see is, of course, the great sport of motorcycling. <laughs> Although these aren't in uh, necessarily chronological order in the film. But um, sport biking, motorcycling is, of course, one of the big components and one of the big fun components of Tron. Because they have things that are called light cycles. And what is a light cycle, Scott? It's an enclosed motorcycle that can leave behind a wall made of light, more or less. And the idea is you drive around, try not to hit each other, but also trying to make the opponent smash into your trailing light wall. And we're talking really cool 1980s computer graphic versions of motorcycles. I mean, these weren't like motorcycles like Kawasaki or Harley Davidson that you saw back in the 80s. These things looked like they came directly out of a video game. Because they did, man. It's all real. And in fact, there was a light cycle thing that you had to do (laughs) in the Tron real world video game where you drove the little light cycles and they trailed a wall behind each one. And you tried to use that wall that you're creating to cut off your opponents. And this happened in the film itself. And it was actually kind of the ultimate game as far as the quote unquote video games that they played to uh, the death for each other. Yeah. Because somebody always died during light cycles. Died or escaped. Dun, (laughs) dun, dun. Another fun part about the light cycles They could only turn in 90 degree angles. It was just, you're heading one direction and bam, flipped 90 degrees off left or right. So we could have called them the vomit cycles. (laughs) Yes. They're like, what's that? What's that wall trailing out behind the vomit? No, no, it's just vomit. Todd's in the backseat of the light cycle. And every time we do the (laughs) 90 degree turn at 300 miles an hour, it's just vomit coming out the back. It dries really fast in the computer world, so you slam into it. No. (laughs) The vomit wall behind the light cycle. Mm. Every kid from the 80s wanted a Tron light cycle. If you had seen Tron, you wanted a Tron light cycle. Yep. That was even our reference for, you know, if you had to get somewhere fast or whatever, you're like, oh, you're taking a light cycle so you can get there quick? Exactly. Oh, you only have three minutes to get to school. Better get your light cycle out. (laughs) Sadly, I I still use that today. Nice. (laughs) Since Tron Legacy came out, there is actually a theme park ride or rides where you sit in Tron light cycles, quote unquote, or at least their roller coaster um, seats made to look like Tron light cycles. So you actually can ride a Tron light cycle, at least around a closed track. Hopefully you're actually sitting and not in the motorcycle position because that'd be brutal. You are actually in the motorcycle position somewhat. No way. I believe that's true. We'll have to look that up later. But um, I know you can actually ride Tron Light Cycles, and it is a theme park ride now that I think is still going since the film. 
What other games did they play inside of Tron? I'm trying to think if there were any other ones. Other games in Tron? I think that was it, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I guess they did have Tron doing the disc battle, then the high lie, and then the light cycles, and then they had escaped at that point, so we don't know if there were other games. Like, we don't know if there was some guy in the background going, yeah, as he ran and Pac-Man chased him. <laughs> exactly. Bites his spine and cracks it in half. Although Pac-Man ah. does appear as an Easter egg in the movie. We're it, not going to tell you where. <laughs> indeed, he does. Well, for me, one of the things that drew me into Tron and is still the first thing I think about when someone says Tron to this day, um, the most fun thing about Tron to me was the soundtrack. The soundtrack to Tron was unlike anything I had ever heard before. This was back in a time when electronic scores were not the norm as they are today, or at least electronic orchestra hybrid scores were not the norm and I had never heard anything like it before. Um, the soundtrack to Tron was composed by Wendy Carlos, who is a famous electronic music pioneer who was best known for her Hooked on Bach series of albums. And she also was friends and collaborators with Bob Moog, who famously created the Moog synthesizers. And she's all around a pioneer of electronic music and in fact, the Tron score defies expectations because it definitely, whenever they're inside the computer, quote unquote, the computer world sounds completely unlike anything you've heard in the real world. Um, a lot of people think it's a strictly electronic score, but in fact, the score included um, an actual symphony orchestra, the London Symphony Orchestra. It included analog synths, digital synths, which were a really new technology at the time, and the UCLA chorus, so there were live voices. And she took all of those elements and blended them together into this crazy, crazy score that sounds like something out of a digital dream and or nightmare, depending on what's happening in the film. <laughs> I highly recommend checking it out. The album was super influential to me. Um, I had never given electronic music much thought before that point. I grew up on guitars and there there were bands that had synthesizers but it wasn't like tron tron sounds like something completely different like nothing you had ever heard especially if you were an adolescent in the mid 80s um, i highly suggest you check it out well the history of tron as a film is kind of interesting um, because it was really pioneering and depending on who you talk to it was successful or unsuccessful <laughs> It was awesome. The DotEaters.com said, quote, All of this talent and technology mixed together to create something never before seen on film. But when Tron is released on July 9th, 1982, audiences aren't sure what to make of it all. Despite the hype, with multiple teasers and trailers and magazine covers, the film opens with a $4,761,795,000 weekend gross placing it second for the week behind the $13 million pulled in by monster hit E.T., The Extraterrestrial, which is still sucking all the oxygen out of the theater even five weeks after its release. Tron would end its domestic run with $33 million, placing it number 22 for moneymakers in 1982, behind The Toy, Rocky III, and The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. <laughs> it gives a decent return on its $17 million budget, 
But the final take is still a disappointment to those involved with its creation. This lukewarm response by the movie-going public puts the kibosh on the planned merchandising bonanza, lessening the value of such agreements as a licensing deal with Japan toy maker Tomy to make Tron action figures and electronic handheld games. While that would have been cool, where were our Tron action figures and electronic handheld games? Uh, I had a Flynn action figure. Did you really? He was purple. <laughs> color that wasn't in the movie of course he was i'd also cool the jets of tron 2 the movie sequel announced perhaps a bit too hastily by walt disney Productions soon after tron's premiere so apparently they announced a tron 2 and i know you're gonna be like well they eventually got there but no i was actually gonna say that i I was working on my own tron 2 on the old apple 2c at home nice i had a big graphic screen with tron 2 and Somewhere I had found I had like two pages of script for the game. (laughs) Tron 2 Electric Boogaloo by Scott Ginsley. Yep. It was going to be awesome. Also disappointed were gamers who had hoped to enter the game grid, which was going to be a real part of Disney World's Communicore hub at Epcot. Ah, come on, man. Why didn't we get that? Can you imagine? Very disappointed. There was also going to be a Tron-themed video arcade space. That uh, never made it past the concept stage. Oh. We missed out. <laughs> if your movie makes $33 million and it costs $17 million, how is that not good enough to get a sequel? Yeah, I don't know. The arcade game came out afterwards. They had a second arcade game, The Discs of Tron. And clearly, some of us liked it. Say, something called Tron Deadly Discs sticks in my mind. Was yes. that a different game? Nope, you are correct. I think that even had an Atari version, too. Yes. Atari Tron Deadly Discs. Um, Yeah. Not the world's greatest adaption of the Tron game. No, but there was a Deadly Disc in the arcade that was a very good adaptation. In fact, you can actually still find Tron arcade games out there if you look around. And of course, many decades later, in 2010, for some reason, Disney did decide to do a Tron sequel called Tron Legacy. But unfortunately, everything about it is horrible and it has no redeeming <sighs> qualities of any kind. No. <laughs> no, Dense that's fighting words. That's not true at all. Although I was highly disappointed with the sequel, um, Scott was much less disappointed. Uh, in fact, I think we'll call it Enthusiastic Fan. I do like it. I sadly wouldn't consider it fun sci-fi. It is nowhere near the level of fun that the original has. Which is funny that we call Tron the original fun because it's actually kind of a dark movie in terms of theme and tone. It has dark, serious themes, but then there's just so many things about it, especially if you are adolescent in the 80s, that made it seem like it was super fun wall to wall. In ways, it's kind of about religious persecution and artificial intelligence, the danger of artificial intelligence, um, reliance on computers. It's about all kinds of dark and heavy themes, and yet it seems like a really fun movie. It was fun, darn it. (laughs) Whereas Tron Legacy, uh, the biggest disappointment for me was just the soundtrack, really. (laughs) Really, Daft Punk failed you? I have great respect for Daft Punk, and I like a lot of their work. I just didn't want them to do the Tron soundtrack. I wanted Wendy Carlos again, or at least someone who would play some of the Tron theme in the Tron movie. 
That, that was the biggest downer about Tron Legacy was how little of Tron, the fun stuff that we remember, made it into it. If Daft Punk would have done, you know, Wendy Carlos Tron Remix 2010, I would have been like, yeah, way to go. And the fact that Tron isn't really in Tron Legacy. Yeah, that's the other big downer is the movie's called Tron and Tron is barely in the movie and is a presumed bad guy for most of it, right? Yes. He becomes muscle for the bad guy. Oh, if you want to see Tron in that world, you got to go to the animated Tron Uprising series, which made it for one season. I have seen several episodes of that. And even that, he's more a mentor. But <laughs> Me, it was all about the music. Uh, it was like going to see Empire Strikes Back and none of the John Williams music plays. They're like, nope, we got some other guy to do uh, Star Wars Part 2, so... <laughs> I'm like, but, but it's Star Wars. Oh, that's fair. It's Star Wars. Where's the Star Wars theme? That's how I felt about Tron. Where's the Tron theme? Anyway, I kept waiting for the entire runtime of the movie. I was like, any minute now, they're going to do it. It's going to come in. It's going to have a techno beat behind it. Boom, 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 whatever. (laughs) And I'm like, it's going to be awesome. And then I sat there as the closing credits. I was like, they're at least going to do it in the closing credits. And it rolled and there was nothing. True. Don't get me wrong. I've listened to some of it since then, and some of it's pretty cool. Um, Daft Punk, I have mad respect for. I just wanted the thing that I most closely associate with Tron, which is the soundtrack from the original Tron, and it just wasn't there. Character Tron would have been nice, too. (laughs) And having Tron be in Tron, or at least more, would have been cool. (laughs) But that's another episode. Well, we hope you had a fun time hanging out with us today on Super Sci-Fi Party. And if you'd like to tell us what you think about Tron, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook or send us an email at party at com. Uh, we'd be more than happy to hear from you. Remember, you can also learn more about the show by visiting our website at com. And if you enjoy Super Sci-Fi Party Podcast, please pass it along to your awesome sci-fi loving friends. We need your help to spread the word about fun science fiction. I really think people need to spread the word about fun science fiction, don't you? Yes, do it. We live in an era where the sci-fi has gotten really dark and everything's like in a world where everything is completely destroyed and people are barely hanging on and their faces melted and their dogs exploded and their babies cry 24-7. There is a sci-fi epic about how dark and brooding they can be. I think we've had enough of that. (laughs) Yep. We don't need people trying to top how dark and brooding they can be. I can be more dark and brooding than you. No, I can be more dark than you. I can be more dark. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to be able to speak after this if we keep going. So please help us spread the word about fun science fiction. You'll be glad you did. Until next time for Super Sci-Fi Party, I'm Todd Kinsley. I'm Scott Kinsley. And in the immortal words of Doc Brown from Back to the Future, a fun sci-fi film, the future is what you make it, so make it a good one. Au revoir, everyone. See ya. Who am I waving to?
I waved when I said au revoir, everyone. Jason and Freddie. There's, there's no one there. Oh, my, my Funko Pop, Jason and Freddie. <laughs> au revoir, Jason and Freddie. One, two, I'm coming for you. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>